and tribulations. You are the veterans of redemptive suffering. With God before you then, let freedom ring. Let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. Let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. When we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all God's children, black and white, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual,
be seated. Today, we gather in the presence of our loving and merciful God, recognizing that we all are fallible beings, prone to sin and imperfection. In this moment of reflection and honesty, let us come before our Heavenly Father with penitent hearts and open minds, seeking God's forgiveness and grace. Let us together pray the prayer of confession. We approach you in trust, God, you whom Jesus called Abba, Father. In sovereign love, you created the world good and made everyone equally in your image, male and female, of every race and people, to live as one community. But we have rebelled against you. We have hidden from you, our Creator. Ignoring your commandments, we have violated the image of God in ourselves and others, accepted lies as truth, exploited neighbor and nature, and threatened death to the planet entrusted to our care. Forgive us, God. Act with justice and mercy to redeem creation. In everlasting love, you delivered the children of Israel from the house of bondage. Set us free to accept ourselves and to love God and neighbor. And bind us together with all believers in the one body of Christ, the Church. Open our eyes to unmask idolatries in church and culture. Open our ears to hear the voices of people long silenced. And open our hearts to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. Trusting in your love, we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we all forgiven. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to worship at Fourth Presbyterian Church on this third Sunday after Pentecost. Reflecting our Creator's warm embrace of all who are created in God's own image, I invite you now to turn and greet your neighbors, sharing the peace of Christ with them. And for those joining us online, we hope that you will take the opportunity to let us know that you're joining us today whether via the QR code on your screen or the link below the video, we extend a warm welcome to you as well. So beloved, may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Also with you. Oops, sorry, <laughs> peace of Christ, Carol.
And God's people said, Amen. We encourage you to take a moment to look through the closing pages of the bulletin for a variety of ways to grow in knowledge, faith, and discipleship, to serve among those in need of food, clothing, shelter, and companionship, to build relationships among a dynamic group of people, and to celebrate the gifts of creativity and musical expression. And if you're with us here in the sanctuary this morning, we hope that you will take a moment to find and fill out the pew pads and to share those with anyone else who might be seated in your pew. And I'll take a moment to highlight a few things of note in our bulletins. Fourth Church's Racial Equity Council invites the whole congregation to embrace and join in the commemoration and celebration of Juneteenth. Some historical context. Though the Emancipation Proclamation was made effective in 1863, thus marking the end of the Civil War, it was not until more than two years later that the people of Texas, the most remote state of the former Confederacy, first learned of the war ending and their freedom proclaimed, which occurred when the Union soldiers traveled to Galveston, Texas, where the pronouncement was publicly read on June 19, 1865. Celebrations of Juneteenth started in Texas and unfolded in the decades following. Inevitably, Juneteenth was declared a state holiday starting in 1980, and by 2019, 47 states recognized Juneteenth, and it became a federal holiday in 2021. We will celebrate today with a Juneteenth-themed coffee, Juneteenth-themed, I should say, coffee hour. We hope you'll join us for coffee hour fellowship for those who are gathered in the sanctuary today. And speaking of our coffee hours, if you would be willing to be one of our coffee hour volunteers on future Sundays, we are in need of additional servers. So in your worship bulletin, you'll find more details about how you can be connected with that volunteer opportunity. Also, if you're wor worshiping with us in the sanctuary, we welcome anyone seeking the comfort and support of a brief time of prayer to pray with one of our deacons who will gather in the stone chapel located to the right of the pulpit immediately following the service. For those who are fathers or father figures, for those who embody the spirit of parenthood on this weekend, we also honor God's calling in your lives to serve in the fatherly capacity. For all who connect and celebrate, happy Father's Day. And for those for whom this is a difficult day, we lean into the comfort of a parental presence and surround you with loving care on this day as well. 
Finally, you will also find in today's bulletin details about our invitation to walk with Fourth Church and the Chicago Coalition of Welcoming Churches in the Pride Parade next Sunday. And now may we continue in our worship of God together. Friends, please pray with me. Loving God, fountain of every blessing, open us to your life-giving word and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that living water may flow through our hearts, a spring of hope for a thirsty world. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Numbers, chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. Let's listen now for God's word to us. The Israelites, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and against Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we had died when our kindred died before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Thus you shall bring water out of the rock for them. Thus you will provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. So Moses took the staff before the Lord as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and by which he showed his holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, before we begin, I do want to echo what Nancy had said, wishing a happy Father's Day to all of the fathers and grandfathers and father figures in our congregation today, for the role that fathers play in raising kids, for the ways in which they serve as an example of love. We honor those things today and give thanks for all who helped shape us into who we are. 
So our second lesson this morning comes to us from the book of Revelation. There is admittedly a, quite a span of time in between our first lesson from Numbers and this one, but they both have a lot to teach us about what it means to be journeying to God's future. So we'll be reading from chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, and continuing with verses 15 through 17. And I invite you to continue listening for God's word to us this day. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship God day and night within the temple, and the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes." Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you experienced a little bit of scriptural whiplash between our first and second readings this morning, you can take heart in knowing that you are in good company. When I shared the text that I'd be preaching on this Sunday, one of my colleagues gave me a quizzical look and said, really? You're preaching on numbers? And to be fair, I completely understand the skepticism. The book of Numbers, if you're not familiar, is squarely in the middle of the Israelites' 40-year time in the wilderness, caught between the triumph of leaving oppression and slavery in Egypt in the early chapters of Exodus, but still before the hope and final instructions the people receive in Deuteronomy as they stand on the cusp of entering into the promised land. In the book of Numbers, we witness Moses having increasingly fraught interactions with the people as frustration, uncertainty, and fear abound. As the book of Proverbs wisely notes, where there is no vision, the people perish. And it certainly feels as though the vision of the promised land that once led the people out of Egypt is beginning to fade. For every step or two forward in Numbers, there seems to be a step or two back. And in our first lesson that Carl read, we see the journey, the toll that the journey is taking on them. Moses' sister Miriam, a stalwart presence along this journey, passes away. And Moses' brother Aaron will soon follow at the end of the chapter. Even Moses himself is seemingly beginning to have doubts creep in, as God accuses him in this passage of losing trust and faith that God will provide for them, even in the midst of these dire circumstances. And Moses is told that he will not be the one to bring the people into the promised land. There's a reason we don't cover the book of Numbers very often in worship. It's frustrating and challenging and even disheartening to be in a wilderness place, stuck in a liminal in-between time of uncertainty before you arrive at the place that you actually want to go. It's not a perfect measure, but I do think that it's telling that while the lectionary, the three-year cycle of scripture that the church follows, has 18 passages from the book of Exodus and 13 from Deuteronomy, 
but there are only two that are used from the entire book of Numbers. It's frustrating to be in a liminal space. And I think that there's a temptation that all of us have to want to skip ahead on the journey, to arrive at the promised land and not look back. But doing so can obscure the truth that almost every journey and every triumph involves hard-fought struggle and delays and disappointments along the way. As we noted earlier in this service, tomorrow is Juneteenth, a day that was recently designated as a national holiday, but one that had been celebrated long before that, and a day that remembers the two-and-a-half-year delay before the freedom promised in the Emancipation Proclamation finally came to those who had been enslaved in Galveston, Texas. As Opal Lee, one of the key figures in making Juneteenth a federal holiday, put it, no one is ever free until we're all free. And so this day both celebrates a milestone on the journey to true freedom, while also serving as a reminder that freedom did not and does not come easily. I truly believe that all of us want to arrive at a promised land where all people are given equal opportunity and treatment, no matter what their racial identity might be or what their gender identity might be or sexual orientation. But when we look at the disparities that still exist, I think that most of us can agree that we have not yet arrived at that place. We still find ourselves, for lack of a better metaphor, in the same place that the Israelites were in, in the wilderness, on the journey, hopeful that one day we will arrive at a time when people are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And yet we can be frustrated by how far off that time can feel. Yes, we as a country may have left behind a particular type of oppression and chattel slavery through the Emancipation Proclamation and left behind Jim Crow laws that made segregation legal, but we still see the effects and legacies of those laws and policies creep in, intentionally or unintentionally, structurally or interpersonally, in far more subtle ways. One historical illustration of this is a famous account from the life of Booker T. Washington. Washington, who began life enslaved, was freed by the Emancipation Proclamation at the age of eight, along with his family. And he would go on to become the first president of Tuskegee University, along with serving as an advisor to multiple US presidents. But during his time at Tuskegee, he was walking home through an affluent neighborhood one afternoon, when he was stopped by a white woman outside of her home the woman, unaware of who Washington was, told him that she'd pay him a few dollars to come and chop wood in her backyard. I'm sure that many of us, if we were in Washington's position, would have responded with some words not fit for this pulpit. But amazingly, he agreed and spent the next couple of hours chopping wood out in the blazing sun for her. And the entire situation would have gone by unnoticed, but when he finished and went to go stack the wood, Someone else working in the woman's home recognized who he was. And the next day, while Washington was working in his office at Tuskegee, he received a surprise visit from the woman who was thoroughly embarrassed, to say the least. She apologized profusely and stated she had no idea who he was or she would never have asked him to do that kind of work. Washington told her that no apology was necessary and added that it was a delight to do something for a friend. And from that moment on, the woman became an active supporter of Tuskegee and encouraged many of her friends to do so as well. Now, there's certainly a feel-good aspect to this story of transformation 
And we can certainly admire Washington's humility and graciousness. But we also can't forget that the entire scenario started because of a quiet moment of snap judgment and bias. And that even if there was no malice or ill intent, it still underscored that while he had been successful by any measure, the color of Washington's skin continued to affect how he was seen and treated. Slavery had been outlawed for decades when this incident occurred, and yet when that woman looked at him, he was anything but free. In her mind, he was just another person to be hired, still less than, no matter what the Emancipation Proclamation might say. And it's fair to wonder if she would have even apologized at all were it not for his status. If freedom truly existed for all, Washington would never have been put in that position in the first place. And there are countless stories and examples of those types of moments still happening today. After all, the stories of our history are not only about the past. They're stories that inform and inspire our future, and they are stories that inspire and inform the here and now. As we collectively strive for a greater vision of who we are called to be, as a country, yes, but ultimately, as beloved children of God. One of those aspirational and beautiful visions comes from our second reading today, from that seventh chapter of Revelation. The book of Revelation is best known for its vivid and striking imagery and the myriad of interpretations that have been made about John of Patmos' apocalyptic vision. But at its core, the book is undergirded by a hopeful vision of a future that God will one day bring to pass. In today's verses, we hear promises that contain echoes of the Israelites' time in the wilderness, that they will hunger and thirst no more, that the sun will no longer strike them, that God will guide them to springs of water of life, and God will one day wipe away every tear from their eye. And we hope and pray that one day a world like that will indeed exist. But several verses earlier, John shares a vision of who it is that God has called. And it's an expansion of God's chosen people from Exodus. There's a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne. As the biblical scholar William Pender notes in the scene from Revelation 7, this heavenly vision is not put in terms of the future. For John of Potmos, John the seer, this vision is the present and what is now. And the good news is that the future determines and creates the present. John is witnessing what will be, a time when all people are united, not united as one and the same, but united together in love as beloved children of God. And that vision must help us determine and create our present, even as we acknowledge that we have not yet fully arrived. And because of that, we continue to pray for wisdom and strength and guidance as we journey towards a day when all that divides us would be torn down and towards a day when abundance and opportunity and freedom would truly be known by all. The way forward will not always be clear. And one of the challenges we face is that we are all on different places on that journey. But no matter where we are, John's vision can inspire us to keep pressing onward. It can be tempting whenever you find yourself in the wilderness to give up and to perhaps believe you may never see the journey through. 
That's exactly what Moses and the people were experiencing in that passage from Numbers out in the wilderness around Kadesh. They were tired. They were hungry and thirsty. It felt as though they had been traveling the same grounds, never getting closer to the promised land. And yet in the midst of that quarreling and uncertainty and doubt, God provided. God provided by helping Moses bring water out of her rock, refreshing and restoring them on their journey. Even if we are not yet where we want to be, whether personally or in our wider society or as a church, we trust that God still provides moments of triumph, moments of joy, moments of celebration, moments when water can be drawn from the rock for those who thirst from it. Those springs of life give us the strength to keep moving towards the future that God has promised. And they remind us that there are times when it is important to pause and give thanks to God, even when the road to that promised land, to that aspirational vision, remains unclear or uncertain. On this Juneteenth weekend, we hold to the promise and vision God has for all people. And we remember that every step on the road to true freedom is worth celebrating. We give thanks for all of the men and women who came before us, searching and working and struggling and advocating for true freedom, while also recognizing that each one of us has a role to play in the here and now as the journey to God's promised future continues. And we give thanks to God for that gift of a greater vision and the promise of a future when hunger and thirst will be no more, when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, And when we truly gather as a great multitude from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages gathered as beloved children of God. So may that promised future both determine and create our present as we continue this journey together. Amen.
us remain in our postures of reverence as together we affirm what we believe through the words of the Confession of Belhar. We believe in the triune God who gathers, protects, and cares for the church through word and spirit. We believe in one holy, universal Christian church, the unity of the communion of saints of the entire human family. We believe that this unity must become visible so that the world may believe that separation, enmity, and hatred between people and groups is sin, which Christ has already conquered. We believe that this unity of the people of God must be manifest and active in that we love one another, that we give ourselves willingly and joyfully to one another to be of benefit and blessing to one another, that we share one baptism together, that we eat of one bread and drink of one cup together, that together we know and bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfilling the law of Christ, that we need one another and upbuild one another. We believe that God's life-giving word and spirit has conquered the powers of sin and death, and therefore also of irreconciliation and hatred, bitterness and enmity. We believe that God's life-giving word and spirit will enable the church to live in a new obedience and to open new possibilities of life for society and the world. Amen. Please be seated. The white roses on the chancel this morning signify changes within our family of faith. Now cherished and of blessed memory include the following saints. Joseph Heine died on May 31st, and a memorial service was held on Saturday, June 10th. Dean V. Bannock died on June 12th. A memorial service will be held Wednesday, June 21st at 10 a.m. in Buchanan Chapel. And we received word that Marsha Heiser died early yesterday morning, June 17th. Details regarding memorial services are forthcoming. And acknowledged on a previous Sunday was the death of Nan Birmingham on May the 22nd. A memorial service will be held on Friday, July 21st at 10 a.m. here in the sanctuary. Thanks be to God that their baptisms have been completed and that they enjoy sweet reunion with their creator. Now, let us pray to the God who holds theirs and all of the saints of those past and who will hold us when our time has come. Let us bow in prayer. Loving and gracious God, 
We gather as your beloved community, united in one pursuit of justice, equality, and freedom. For these are holy callings. We lift our hearts in prayer, seeking your guidance and blessings for our nation and all those who have been impacted by the legacy of slavery. For the ancestors who endured the chains of oppression and fought for liberation, we offer our deepest gratitude. We honor their resilience and courage and unwavering spirit. May their stories be forever etched in our hearts, reminding us of the ongoing struggle for freedom and justice. We pray for healing, O oh Lord, for those who suffer, for those who mourn, for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for your name's sake. And yes, for those whose lives continue to be affected by the wounds of slavery and systemic racism. Grant comfort to heavy hearts, to lives burdened by injustice, discrimination, and inequality. Help us as a society to confront and dismantle all systems that perpetuate all injustice and fill us with compassion, empathy, and a commitment to creating a world where all people are created and treated with dignity and respect. On this season of Juneteenth, we remember and mourn those who lost their lives in pursuit of freedom. We remember the lives cut short, the dreams unfulfilled, the families torn apart. May their spirits find solace and may their sacrifices never be forgotten. Let their memory inspire all of us to work tirelessly for a future where every individual can live in liberty and thrive without fear. This is indeed a holy yearning. We pray for the unity and reconciliation among all people. Help us to recognize our shared humanity and to build bridges of understanding and love. Give us the strength to engage in difficult conversations, to listen with open hearts, to work together to create a society that upholds the dignity and rights of every person, and where necessary, O oh Lord, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable, for all are held in your care. We pray for wisdom and guidance for our leaders and policymakers. Inspire them to work diligently together towards a future where every person has the opportunity to flourish and reach their full potential. And finally, O oh Lord, we pray and ask for hope. May this day serve as a reminder that change is possible and that together we can build a better future. And may our holy yearnings for liberation and justice and equity be not just aspirations but lived realities. 
and help us to be instrumental in your kingdom unfolding and shining resplendently on earth as it exists in heaven. And may a kingdom vision be born in our hearts. And with this yearning in mind, let us pray together the prayer that your Son, our Savior, taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. To whom much has been given, from whom much is expected. We have been given much in the way of time, in the way of talent, in the way of material resources. So in a spirit of abundance, let us give in support of the manifestation of God's kingdom on earth. The ushers are now invited to collect your holy offerings this morning.
Let us pray. Good and holy God, for your steadfast love and faithfulness, we give you thanks and bless your name. Let our whole lives become songs of gratitude, joy, and praise, so that all the earth may know that we are your people and you are our God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So friends, may that aspirational vision of God's future continue to determine and create our present, striving for a time when all are truly free and are truly treated as beloved children of God. And as we go from this place, may you go with this blessing. May God bless you and keep you. May God turn God's face to you and shine upon you, being gracious to you. May you be given peace, not just now, but forevermore. Alleluia and amen.